Hi, everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And I'm Ruth Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We certainly don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. listening to Selfie, and today we have an interesting episode for you guys. Uh, The format is going to be a little bit different because um, Rue and I, well, actually Rue has um, some stuff that she wants to be talking about that she's been working on over the last couple months that is actually a really big deal that we have not been able to talk about. We've almost been talking Mm. around it, right, for the past few weeks. Um, And it has to do with what she does for a living, and it's, it's big. It's pretty big. Um, and I'm excited actually that we get to talk about it now because I feel like it's such a component of who you are and I'm also so proud of you. So I want our listeners to know like what this badass thing you've been doing. Um, so I'm excited to talk about that. I am too. I'm mildly nervous, but I I I think it'll be okay. (laughs) I know. So we're just, we're going to dive into our two thumbs up. Then we're going to punch over to Claire, who has um, is answering a question from you guys about where to go for skincare recommendations. We're going to hear quickly from BJ, and then Rue is going to give you guys a big update. Cool. So what what is your two thumbs up for the week? Okay. Well, my first thumbs up is actually a television show um, that has been giving me much joy. It's called Rami. Have you seen that one? I haven't, but I keep seeing – it's on Netflix, right? It is. Or Hulu. I I see the – I've seen the still for it. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what it's on right now. Actually, I'm looking it up as we speak. Um, You know, I heard about it – it's on Hulu. I heard about it because he won a Golden Globe. Um, And it just kind of piqued my interest because in his speech, he was like, wow, I was like so surprised that so many people were interested in a show about like a young adult Muslim who can't figure life out. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. So it is so well written. It is the story of a first generation Egyptian American who's also Muslim. And it's just it's so weirdly relatable to me because he's really having a crisis of faith. Like, how devout am I? How Muslim am I? He's got Mm. his parents who are super devout. His friends are kind of, you know, falling away from the faith and he doesn't want to. And he feels confusion around his identity and his religion. It's so well done. It's He's such a likable character. Um, The family, his friends, they're just really well-drawn characters and every single episode was just like whoa like just really good is there humor involved too or is it very funny oh cool it's like poignant and heartbreaking and super funny it's just like everything you want in a show Oh, I have been dying for a show to uh, just kind of dive into. So I'm I'm probably going to try this tonight. Oh, actually. I just I'm very excited so much to everyone. And, you know, it's also just a really great kind of empathy builder for the Muslim American experience, I think, which I think is right. so like not well understood by a lot of Americans. And they just do a really good job with it. 
Cool. That's really cool. Um, and then my second thumbs up is a cleanser that I'm really liking. It is from a company that's like a, kind of like a artisanal apothecary. It's called Fable Soap Company. And they have this turmeric charcoal facial cleanser. It is Ooh. like almost black. And I really like it. It's anti-inflammatory because of the turmeric, but then the charcoal is really detoxifying and it's all natural. So, and it's in a beautiful glass bottle and it just feels very luxurious when I use it. I uh, love good packaging and there are too. times there are times where I don't want to buy something just because oh, yeah. I hate the packaging so much. Yeah. Uh, quick sidebar. I like doing a face mask, but – and you know how people will go, oh, face mask night and like take a picture and put it on Instagram? Yes. I refuse to do it if that mask is black. I just <laughs> That's fair. I have such a hard time with it because I know that it's just a charcoal mask. Right. But I feel really weird yes. about it. So at this point, I uh yeah, I just I, I just don't share anymore. <laughs> I think that's wise. Just maybe just share the green masks, guys. Yes, yes, or like those weird sheet masks that make you look like a sociopath. Oh, yeah. Um my thumbs up is, okay, I discovered this thing, and I'm so excited to share, but I'm afraid uh, that people are going to think it's too weird. It's, um, I like a, a well-groomed eyebrow, but I don't like it, like, over-groomed. You know, mm-hmm. I I did that thing back in 2003 where I just waxed the nonsense oh, yeah. out of my eyebrows, and, like, I then, we all you know, and yeah. then now we all regret it. So, um, you know, I don't, like, fill in too much. Like, I don't do that dark powder line. Like, I don't spend a lot of time on it. But I love to brush my eyebrows. And so I read in Reddit this idea of instead of using an eyebrow gel, something called soap brows. And I uh, know this is going to sound super weird, but lately I have been taking a bar of soap, just like a simple, like, Dr. Bronner's or for me, because I've been traveling, just little hotel bar soap. Yeah. And you either spritz it or just drop a little bit of water on it, shake it out. You don't want it to be soaked. You just want it to be damp. And then I rub a clean spoolie on it, and then I brush my my, uh, brows with it, and it stays... And it looks amazing. It's like so fluffy and not too perfect or, you know. Yeah. And it's – and so I just um, – I I like I like the feeling of brushing my eyebrows, which is yes. maybe some weird ASMR thing. But um, so I like – I now I just kind of keep spoolies lying around and I, a bar of soap. And my eyebrow routine has become a lot cheaper than it used to be. So. That's so interesting. I never would have thought of soap. I often spray hairspray on it and then – you know, rub it across, but then they're kind of crunchy. <laughs> yeah, no, this is like, it's like a, a, just like a little bit waxy. And sometimes I'll still do like a little bit of a pencil. You can't overdo it. Otherwise, like I start to look a little like Santa Claus because then my eyebrows turn white. But so otherwise, funny. just regular, yeah, soap brows. Soap. Try it. I think there's like a brand called Soap Brows too. So you could buy some sort of weird kit, but But you're saying hotel soap works. I, yeah, any bar of soap you have around and a yeah. clean spoolie and go nuts. Yes. Love it. And then the other thing is, um, I know like ages ago with light blocking glasses, like the blue light blocking glasses yeah. were a big deal. Like we were all spending an absurd amount of money on yes. these like, sp- like it was like the Warby Parker of light blocking glasses. Yes. Uh, I keep finding them for super cheap now. So oh, anytime yeah. I find them for under $20, I just buy a few because I yes. noticed Usually I only have them at my desk for when I'm staring at a computer, but I find now that they're actually really helpful even if I'm just sitting in bed like looking at my phone. Mm -hmm. I find that it just helps take the strain. So I have been buying them. I've become like 
I don't know. Uh, I I shouldn't say. I've become one of those people that just always has a ton of readers hanging around. Like I should have one on a chain around my neck. Um, So that's been my my new truth is keeping uh, light blocking glasses around. Okay, so I am literally wearing them right now. Um, Light blocking glasses as we speak. But I need to find... Do you, are your readers and your light blockers separate glasses, or do you have any combos? Oh, so I actually don't need readers yet. Okay, you're so cute. I just I, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that day. That's right. You're done under approach. forty. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. That so I'm sure that'll that'll come soon. Yeah, because I that's my issue too. Is so I on my desk I have readers. I have light blockers, and then I actually need glasses for distance vision. <laughs> so I have three separate glasses. So dumb. You need like a really cool hybrid. I know. I do. I actually do. But then, no, because I don't want to use my readers when I'm looking at my computer screen. Right. Oof. You know, right. it's just when I have to like read a package or a menu anyway. <sighs> um, well, I mean, maybe someone will come up with – I mean, we, ha- we can put a man on the moon. We can figure this out. Totally. All right. Time for a listener question with Claire. Claire is our beauty expert at Selfie. So Claire. Hi, guys. Here is your question. Someone asked, where is the best place to go for skincare recommendations for my skin and face? A dermatologist? A beauty counter? There's no shortage of info on the internet, but I don't know what applies to me. And then I get overwhelmed and give up. That's hard. Um, It really depends on what you're looking to do. So if you're looking for skin health, if you're looking to, you know, um, deal with something like dermatitis or you're dealing with um, eczema, you're dealing with rosacea, the dermatologist is the best place to start. But if we're talking about things like facials, daily skincare, fillers, or neurotoxins, you want to establish a really great relationship with a medical esthetician. Um, And that's what I was doing for a long time. And a lot of my patients would come to me with questions like, do I need filler or do I need Botox? And kind of, we would walk, we'd walk through that together. Um, I would avoid all beauty counters. Really? Yes. Just because they're, they're, they're based on commission. And so. That's so true though. Yeah. And I just, you worked at a beauty counter. So did I. Yeah. I, yeah. When I fresh out of beauty school, I went and worked at Bliss at Macy's. Okay. And I was just like, you did all the things. I worked for Lancome. Nice. Yeah. Lancome actually is coming out with some really great things. I hated them for a long yeah. time, but they are revamping their line. But you're so right. Everyone working at a beauty counter is working on commission. So mm-hmm. they're going to recommend their product and they're going to recommend the most expensive, expensive product. It's, it's, they're not having your best interest really at heart. And sometimes when you see an esthetician, they're going to upsell you as well. True. But they want to retain you as a client Mm -hmm. and they want to see you maybe every eight weeks or 12 weeks, whatever the recommendation is, but you're not going to continue to go to them if you're not seeing great results. Yeah. What's hard too, I will say this about the dermatologist. I just went to my dermatologist because I have eczema and the, all the stuff he recommended to me is so not green. Yes. You know, so chemical filled Mm -hmm. and all of the bad things that for me, even going to a dermatologist, like I walked out of there just being like, I could have just Googled this. Like, totally. I'm not going to do anything that he said. But there also is a line too, and I try to blend like Eastern Western. Yeah. For me, I've been dealing with a really bad case of dermatitis mm-hmm. the last, I'd say, four months. It's mm-hmm. driving me crazy. Yeah. And I'm an esthetician. I'm yeah. well-trained. A lot of my peers are super well-trained. And the fact that I couldn't deal with it myself yeah. was like demoralizing. Totally. Like I didn't even want to go to a dermatologist because I was like, I already know everything. <laughs> But sometimes you do. Sometimes you yeah, need to blend sure. the two things. You do. Like I had to do a topical steroid for a little while, yes. which I really wanted to avoid. Same. But I, it gave me my life same. back. Yes. <laughs> it same. gave me my life back. But developing a really 
good relationship with yeah. an esthetician who has a medical background will save you a lot of money and a mm-hmm. lot of frustration. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you, Claire. Now let's turn our attention to our resident therapist, BJ, who has some fantastic advice on dealing with teenagers. Hey, guys. Our question this week comes from Sarah, who wrote her question as a post on our Facebook page. And I asked her permission to share the answer or my my thoughts about it here on the podcast. So I'm going to start just by reading her question really quickly. I had to giggle a little bit because Sarah's the mom of a 13 and a half year old. And if you're on the other side of that, it's easier to look back on it with humor. And I will just tell you, my kids' teenage years are the parts I miss the most. It's the only time I really wish I could go back and do again. Not really. Okay. I don't really want to go back and do it again, but I actually miss it. I miss volleyball practice. I miss the kids hanging out at our house. Um, it was all normal, and my kids were as obnoxious as yours, but it was just so fun and so amazing and such a developmental time, and it was so neat to see them growing into becoming adults, and it was awkward and weird, and I just loved it. So I'm going to encourage you as I share today my thoughts about Sarah's post to just be open to considering the teenage years a little differently than maybe you have been told to, especially if you're not there yet. Maybe even more so if you're in the middle of it. So here's the question. Do any of you moms or dads have resources or suggestions on dealing with your own reactions to teenagers acting like their parents or embarrassing idiots? My son is 13 and a half and just finally hit the stage where he's spending all his time with friends, both physically or on his phone. Snapchat is an obsession. This is new. He either ignores us or acts super dismissive or even sullen. I'm just not used to it yet, although I know it's all very normal developmentally. It hurts my feelings. I miss spending time with him. I miss talking him talking to me. I don't want to act needy or expect him to meet my needs, to be my friend or whatever. I just feel like I need a movie or a good book or a podcast to help me normalize all of this and convince myself it doesn't mean he hates us. Why does parenting require good self-esteem? <laughs> oh, it requires all the self-esteem you can muster. And it's at this point that I want to segue away from Sarah and the focus being on her and just talk to all of you who have teenagers. And I just want to talk a little bit about why teenagers do what they do. Why do they roll their eyes? Why are they sullen? Why are they rebellious and angry and agitated? And why do they act like we're embarrassing idiots? And the truth is, there's a really good reason. So I'm going to start at the beginning. In the first few years of our lives, everything we do, every decision that's made, what we eat, what we wear, where we go, how we get there, who we see, all of it is navigated, managed, and controlled by the big people in the house, by our primary caregivers, our parents, or whoever those people may end up being. And Our world is really, really small. We go to the same church, the same school, the same preschool, the same daycare, the same grocery stores. Um, Again, always in the presence of adults. We have no independence. Our independence is limited to whether or not we get to wear the red t-shirt or the blue t-shirt or whether we're actually going to eat the food that you put on our plate. Um, But that's about it. We don't. We can't make decisions for ourselves. We can't go anywhere on our own. We're completely at the mercy of the, the adults in the room. Then we get a little bit older, 
and we might be able to ride our bicycle around the neighborhood. And we get a little window into the fact that the world's a little bigger than we thought. And we have a little bit of independence, maybe, um, where we go and play with our friends, but we're still checking in with adults, or we may even always be in the presence of adults, depending on where you live. And we're basically still not the least bit independent. Then you hit it. Well, middle school is where it really begins to feel a little more like the world could be expanding a little bit. Life is still pretty small. That's why drama is so big. I always say the more, the smaller your world is, the more petty seems big. And so for adolescents, middle middle school kids, everything seems really exaggerated because their world is still pretty small. And they're all kind of, that's when they all be kind of interdating each other. This small group of people will kind of date each other in a lot of circles. And it's just their way of trying to figure out where they fit into this little bit bigger world. Again, having to be driven places, can't drive there on their own, not a lot of independence. Then they get their driver's license. Now they can actually imagine what it feels like to be an adult. They can drive pretty much anywhere if they can get away with it. But more importantly, they can get a job. They can look around. They can go places, places that people don't know they're going to. They can make decisions, good or bad, about where to go. And now they're getting a chance to see what it feels like to be an adult. And they like it. They like the idea of that independence. They're supposed to like it. That's the part that's developmentally normal. They're supposed to like it. They're supposed to imagine what it would be like to live on their own, navigate the world on their own, make all their own decisions. They really want to be able to do that. But they don't know how to yet. There's still a lot of that world that they don't understand. There's a lot of that world that they can't comprehend. And they really, as desperately as they want to be out there in it on their own, there is some fear involved because they may not ever admit it out loud, but they don't know what they're doing. And they know they don't know what they're doing. They're feeling the first levels of imposter syndrome. They're acting like they're a lot less scared than they really are. So what happens? They come home, land in safety, and they still aren't going to admit that they're scared. They're still not going to admit that they don't know what they're doing, that they aren't ready to be adults. So they act like they act. So if they feel controlled, they might start acting angry or rebellious or defensive If they feel scared, but they don't want to admit it, they might get sullen. What happens to you when you're nervous about something that you're afraid to talk about out loud? You go quiet, right? You started that as a teenager. Your parents thought you were sullen too. So all of these emotions that they don't know what to do with usually are going to come out sideways. But more important, they're practicing how to be adults, but they don't know how to be adults. So the rebellion, the anger, the defensiveness, it's armor. It's the way they walk out there and pretend they're not scared. And so what do we do? 
we start trying to discipline out the very behavior that's teaching them how to navigate the world. And the truth is, we need to step back. We need to let them go out there scared to death and figure some things out and fail miserably at it. And then when they come home, we need to be able to say, even if they wrecked the car or got caught lying or being somewhere they weren't supposed to be, what do we do? We make it about us. How dare you disrespect us? We have rules in this house. Yeah, And there's where we go. Instead of recognizing this is how they're trying out their independence and sitting down and saying, okay, that didn't go well. What do you think you could have done differently? What do you think you'll do next time? Giving them, having a conversation, not a lecture, not a diatribe of all the things they did wrong, not a litany of punishments for it, not that there aren't consequences sometimes for bad choices, but the first thing that needs to happen before consequences come is an understanding of how they got there to begin with. Give them the freedom, and they're not always going to be able to do it, but give them the space to be able to say, well, I thought if I did this, then it would be that, or I wanted to do this, and it just didn't go like I wanted it to, or I so-and-so said if we do this, and I didn't know how to say no, and now you've been given an opportunity to say, okay, I get that. I've been there. I've done that. What do you think you needed? What, what would it have taken for you to say no and stand up for yourself? What is it that you were afraid would happen if you did that? Having a conversation where they can learn from the mistake so that they can go out there and try it again and probably fail at it again and maybe a few more times before they finally figure out where their feet are and how to stand in them and make good decisions for themselves. They're not going to make good decisions every time because they don't know how. They have to do it by trial and error. And we've got to be a little less quick to punish and shame and ridicule and say, I told you so, and give them the freedom to be a part of figuring out where it went wrong, to be a part of making a plan for how to stay out of that situation in the future or how to handle it differently. This is where choosing relationship over rules and regulations will save your sanity. And I'll tell you another thing, when it goes well, you're going to feel so adult. You're going to feel like you've got such good self-esteem and you're going to feel like you have a relationship with your kid. I will say that you may do it all right and it still may not go that way. Some kids are just hell-bent on taking the rebellious path. But I can tell you that the parents I've seen who do it this way are more likely to have a soft place for their kids to land, which always creates a safe environment for them to acknowledge their failures. And that's how kids grow into healthy, happy adults. And that's how they grow into continuing to have a good relationship with their mom and dad. So I challenge you to give it a try. The hard part sometimes is getting our partners on board because we bring our own family of origin stuff into the way we parent. And no matter how many times we said we weren't going to be like our parents, we often end up being just like our parents. 
or sometimes if our parents weren't very present, we may swing in the other direction thinking our kids need discipline because I never had it and I wish my parents had given me this. And the truth is, our kids need to be seen. They need to be validated. They need to know their place in the world and the way they go out into the world and have good self-esteem so that when they have parents, they can, I mean, have children and teenagers, they can tolerate it is when we model it for them and we teach them who they are and we remind them who they are. Because when they come in and they have failed, they may look angry and defensive. They're really just scared. And they don't need you to tell them it's okay. It's okay that you did something wrong. They need you to tell them, I love you anyway. And that was not good. And we got to figure out another way. And there may be some consequences that you need to pay in order to figure that this out and to recognize that this was really, really a bad choice. But a consequence is a lot different than a punishment. And if it's done in a way that your kid gets a voice in it and feels seen and understood, it won't turn into another level of rebellion And they'll really want to do the right thing. They really do. Okay. Well, Rue, it is, um, how are you feeling? How how are you feeling about (laughs) your disclosure right now? Yeah, I'm feeling fine. I mean, at this point, the cat is out of the bag. It is Um, out of the bag. I do want to, you know, I think this is a good time for a content warning. Yes. Um, What we're about to talk about is incredibly sensitive and it covers topics that um, relate to uh, abuse Mm -hmm. and uh, sex abuse. So um, if you do not want to listen to that, please, uh, this is this is the time to uh, hit pause or fast forward to um, the end. Yes. Um, that said, so I have been working for a tech company for, you know, almost two and a half years now, and we monitor kids' phones, um, so social media, texts, emails, basically the social media that your kids are on to, right? So like Instagram, Twitter, that sort of thing. For signs of potential issues like cyberbullying, acts of violence, suicidal ideation, mm-hmm. eating disorders. Um, and I am a longtime customer of Bark. Like I use right. it with my kids. It is a fantastic service. I highly recommend it to everyone. Yeah. So I use it with, um, you know, mine that have phones. Um, The one thing that we see a lot that we have a hard time explaining is uh, online predation. And so um, the reason why I can share this now is because we just released a mini documentary about it. But for um, almost a year now, I have been going undercover as tween and teen girls online um, under the guidance of law enforcement and, you know, with my company in order to identify predators online. So my boss, um, who's the CEO, Brian and I had been sitting and talking about how to share, how, to, how do we share with parents how pervasive predation is? Right. And so he had kind of said, what if we just put up some fake accounts online and so we can show parents what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of a flippant, not a flippant statement, but I, my first thought was, oh, he's joking. And my second thought was, shoot, that's a really good idea. Um, but, you know, you can't use, we can't use a real kid. We can't use stock images. And so the way it turned out, you know, I have some really kick-ass designers on my team and we uh, de-aged me by a couple decades 
we created backgrounds and, you know, names and uh, hobbies. And we went live online and um, it took just such a short amount of time for adult men to start contacting my personas. Um, I think within the first nine days, we had 92 adult men. Yep. And, and so we have been continuing that project um, with and we've attempted with different personas as well. You know, I've been 15. I've been Mm -hmm. 11. I've been Latina. I've been Mm -hmm. Asian. I've been, you know, different demographics, socioeconomic statuses, uh, family dynamics. Um, And unfortunately, what we're finding is that it is just predation is just so pervasive, you know, and I think that, um, I think that a lot of our peers are worried about like, oh, is it okay if we let our our kids walk six blocks to the park? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it okay if we let them, you know, go ride bikes with a friend? Or is someone going to stick them in a trunk, right? And um, the reality is, is that kids can be abused without you know, can be sexually and psychologically abused without ever being in the same room as right. someone because From their own the, bedroom. That's right. Because yeah. the internet, you know, affords us wonderful things, but also if access, um, access to people. So this has been uh, a very strange year. Um, yeah. for, for, for sure. I have, um, yeah, it's been an, an incredibly strange year. And so the reason why we're, we're sharing all this now is, is, you know, um, it, it kind of came time where we could, but, uh, you know, the work has resulted in arrests and, you know, on the state level and the federal level. And I've been working with law enforcement on the federal, state and local levels. And there's just there's a lot. Um, yeah. And so back in December, I wrote a piece uh, under a pseudonym. The pseudonym was Sloan Ryan. Which and a, my... a lot of people read. I mean, we probably have listeners right now gasping that you are Sloan Ryan. Yeah, I mean, it's been read by 7 million people, translated into four different languages. Yeah. It it went gangbusters for it sure. And, and I think it's because parents were so shocked. They had no idea just how bad it was. And we, you know, we didn't pull any punches. I included screen mm-hmm. grabs, conversations yeah. of me being, you know, as an 11-year-old. And I think that's what was brutal is that, you know, I think there's just a tendency to find ways to make it not my kid. Well, oh, my kid wouldn't post anything salacious or my kid's too young. And I was able to show that, you know, my 11-year-old persona is posting pictures of like fuzzy slippers and all of her photos are from the chin up and the amount of, you know, uh, manipulation and and that that came in, I think was really Mm -hmm. astounding. So yeah, you were not posting anything that would be deemed as invitational. I mean, it looked like all of our kids' social media feeds, just completely innocent. Yeah, just typical tween yeah. and teen content. And and frankly, like I that that's intentional for a bunch of reasons, least of which is avoiding any accusations of entrapment. Right. Um so that has been um yeah, that, that's so that was released back in December and then mm-hmm. there was But some you were na- still undercover, you know, kind of undercover. You didn't use your name. Right, right, um, right. So that was back in December. And then there was uh, Good Morning America coverage and Dr. Oz coverage and Nightline coverage where I was um, obscured. Um, and then uh, it got to a point where, you know, it it was a combination of a few legal things as well as internet sleuths uh, 
discovering my identity. I don't think out of malice, but out of, you know, hey, we're super smart. Right. Um, and so at that point, the cat was definitely out of the bag. And then we felt like it was a good time to, we've been sitting on this mini documentary for months and months. Um, and the reason why we haven't uh, the reason why we haven't released it was due to some pending um, legal investigations, but we, you know, we were able to, um, we were able to share that. And, and my hope is that parents um, are just made aware, you know, I mean, parents and guardians are going to be the first line of defense. So yeah. it's been heavy. <laughs> well, and here's, I want, there's a few things I want to say about this. I mean, first of all, I'm just crazy proud of you. Like, Really? I mean, it's been weird, like, watching you guys bring so much attention to this. And like, I know what a toll this has taken on your own life, you know, and your own mental health and your own self care. And I know why you're doing it, you know, and I know it's because you're passionate about this. I mean, it's wild that you and I went on a sex trafficking um, trip to Thailand to bring awareness to this issue. What was that five years ago? Yeah. You know, so this has been like a passion of yours and something that you really care about. And you've done this, you know, at risk of your own mental health and also somewhat of your own safety, you know, because sure. you're you you've got criminals upset with you, you know, yes. horrible dark people upset with you. Um and so I'm just so proud of you, but then also, you know, I know that this has been incredibly stressful and, you know, as we've talked about self-care and not been able to talk about this aspect of your life, I mean, I just, I know that this has really affected your ability to care for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, thank you. I, it's been one of those things where I haven't been able to let too, too many people know about it. So unfortunately yeah. for some people, their first like some people, I, I saw people in my Facebook feed sharing the article and I had to just stay uh -huh. quiet. And then it wasn't until, um, you know, or maybe they even saw the GMA piece or the Nightline piece. Yeah. And then it wasn't until this mini documentary came out that people realized I'm living this very strange double life. Yeah. Um, and so uh, people who are fearful for my safety and, you know, that's, I, I'm, I'm happy to address that. I, uh, am afforded the protection of law enforcement at this point, um, which is great. They do risk assessments for me. I am able to get a hold of anyone um, within a moment's notice, uh, which is, it's, it's nice. It's, um, it feels reassuring. Yeah, that's um, comforting. Yeah, they certainly value my safety. And, you know, it's, it's nice to know that they value the work that we've been doing. Uh, from a mental health perspective, you know, I think that's completely unreasonable to be worried about. And it, it has been, it has been tough. Um, well, what's interesting is that, you know, law enforcement, especially at different levels, and especially different task forces, like Internet Crimes Against Children task forces, they see terrible stuff. And unfortunately, we've seen terrible stuff. And, you know, I've, I've been witness to um, everything from men just looking to gratify a desire late at night to, um, you know, colloquially, we call it child pornography, but you know, the, the term is child sex abuse material. Mm -hmm. Um, people who are, who are trying to collect or disseminate child sex abuse material to trafficking rings to, you know, people who just really want to pull a kid into a sadomasochistic relationship. So, 
Uh, we've seen terrible stuff, uh, you know, not probably not even a fraction of what not or not even an, a significant fraction of what um, Internet Crimes Against Children Task Forces see. And so they even had recommendations for me for my uh, health care. They uh, wanted to set me up with a specialist to talk about um you know, what do, what does law enforcement do for self-care? Um, you know, and, and, and they see therapists, they do check-ins, which I thought was really, really nice to hear. You know, I guess you kind of just assume that based on television, that they're all just completely dead inside. (laughs) And, um, and that's what, what's expected of them. But, um, every, you know, the, the people that I've been in contact with have been, uh, very kind and considerate, not just about my safety, but also about my mental wellness. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I, I think that there are people who work in these fields who don't see a therapist and I think they're probably not doing well, but I think, you know, people who, anyone who works in these kinds of traumatic fields, especially where you're seeing, the worst of humanity. I mean, you're literally, this is the worst of humanity, you know, yeah. Yeah. and you're having to deal with this being a reality and, and putting yourself in that situation. I mean, the documentary, and we'll link up to, you know, the medium piece and also the documentary that you guys put out. But there was just such a poignant moment where you're in the middle of pretending to be, you know, this persona, this this youngster who's getting these atrocious texts from men and then you're checking in with your own daughter who is around the same age yeah that's the part where i have to really compartmentalize or i absolutely lose my mind um that is that is really difficult i'm putting on the same kind of t-shirts my kids wear um you know uh the same (laughs) you know you know what it's like shopping with tween daughters you know you know and, and those are those are the things that i'm putting on my body and even the graphic designer, he's like, I have to take a picture of my boss and make her look young and sexually appealing to essentially pedophiles. And, and that's hard for him. That was hard for him to wrap his head around. Um, also, just the idea of like, I don't know. I mean, first of all, <laughs> it's never fun being objectified. Mm-hmm. And then just w- willingly letting myself be objectified. And then also letting myself be verbally abused, you know, and because if someone if someone said the stuff to me that they're saying to my personas, I would, you know, happily let them have it. Yes. But I'm playing the role of, frankly, someone who's being manipulated and someone who's young and, and, you know, is maybe scared or and it's it's it is it is something else, you know, um, and I've also just seen w- way too much genitalia over the past year. Oh, like my just, word. Just, you know, so, so much of it. There's just so much of it. Um, sorry. I mean, our, the gallows humor gets pretty... Uh, of course it does. Pr- ...pretty grim. You know, it, 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 cer- <laughs> it certainly has to. But, um, yeah, it's... I keep thinking about the score, and that's how I kind of... <laughs> justify why I continue to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So like I wrote this piece as Sloan Ryan. We registered an email address for Sloan Ryan. And I don't know about you, but I rarely ever hear something or read something and feel compelled enough to write an email about it. Tweet about it? Tweet about it? Sure. Right. Post on Facebook? Fine. I received thousands of emails. Oh, wow. And, And it was from 
survivors Mm -hmm. who suddenly felt validated because they were so scared and they felt like it was their fault from parents of survivors, from lawmakers, and and I mean, from people who just, I'm going to cry talking about this, just saying like, this has to be so hard on you. Please take care of yourself. I am praying for you every night now. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing. And just, you know, uh, you know, just all walks of life too. Like, hey, you don't need me to, you know, come with you. I'll bring my gun. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's not how we do things. But I appreciate your, you know, yeah. your passion for sure. Um, and just the the pleas to keep going, take care of yourself so you can keep yeah. doing this work because it's so important. And so, you know, when I think about the score, yeah. The Child Rescue Coalition references a study, and I always feel a little wary about studies, but I'm going to reference this one. References a study that, and actually, maybe you know better uh, because of your uh, uh, background in therapy, Kristen. Um, the average predator will have, will abuse 50 to 150 victims in their lifetime. Yeah. Now, whether the actual number is half that or a tenth of that, that is still just a crazy amount of victims, you know, I mean, and that's it's kind of enough. more than one, you know, every, because I have worked with some perpetrators and it, you know, it, because it's, it becomes an addiction. Yeah. It's a compulsive behavior, you know, and yeah, so it is very rarely a one and done. Usually these people continue to victimize and continue to get more and more emboldened. I mean, for sure, like, to me, the men that you were talking with that were so bold and so quick and so manipulative had done this many, many times oh, before. Oh, yes. Not their first rodeo. No. It, it almost became comical. We just I kept seeing the same script over right. and over again. Right. You're so pretty. Aren't, are you a model? You're not. You should be a model. Mm. I'm a photographer. You know, that sort of script yeah. to, you know, um, it, it's just... Even one guy said, I remember, messaged me and he said, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm doing my homework. What are you doing? He goes, I'm just doing that thing that dudes do before bed, you know, where and he's referencing right. getting on Instagram and finding someone to 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 use for gratification. And Gosh. that's I mean, I, I've worked a lot of nights and I've worked a lot of nights because very sadly, a lot of these perpetrators are also my age Mm -hmm. they work nine to fives they go home they have dinner with their families they help their kids with homework they tuck them in and then they go to bed and they look for someone to abuse and and frankly i think what's been really hard especially for like other people on the team that have seen not necessarily worked in the in in the nitty-gritty and seen the messages messages that have come in but maybe have seen a photo of a perpetrator we all think of like a caricature from like yes. Law and Order SVU. They're like yes. all scary and they live they're they're like basement dwellers and mm-hmm. you know these some of these men are, you know, conventionally attractive yep. and have white collar jobs. We've yep. talked to medical professionals and teachers and IT professionals and dads and you know, um people <laughs> clergy and yep. it is it is wild because, I mean, there are some of the younger women at the office that are like, wait a minute, that's that looks like a guy I'd go on like a an, a date with, you know, yeah. like, that looks like someone that just looks like some normal guy that I'd meet at a bar. And I think that's the scary part is that they all look like they all fair, are, are fairly, you know, so many of them are fairly normal looking and they don't, yeah. you know, there's no big warning. Hey, I'm definitely a criminal sign hanging from their necks. Right. And, and that is, I think, what is so scary about 
you know, child sexual abuse is perpetrators look like everyone else and they're right. nice people. It, there's also not a delineation between that lack of empathy that is obviously shown in the act of sexual abuse, but then they can show empathy in other areas. So you wouldn't meet this person and think like, oh, they're a psychopath. They can be right. charming. They can be kind. They can be sensitive. Um, it's really scary. I, and honestly, that's been part of it for me, too, is that, you know, I haven't spoken about this um, really publicly, I don't think, with press, but I've essentially had to let myself be in relationships Yeah, with these men. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, if it was one where we had to – it had to be over a certain period of time to mm -hmm. collect enough collect enough evidence um, because, you know, we're made aware of the, the parameters for prosecution. And it's like <laughs> – no one is wholly good and no one is wholly evil. That's right. And I have not celebrated when an arrest has happened. Like, yeah. I always thought that when an arrest was made, I would, you know, clink glasses and go out for drinks and be so excited and, you know, I don't know, shoot off a confetti cannon. But I'm not. I'm devastated. That's, you mm -hmm. know, that's a person that could have had another path. Yeah, it's a, that's it's a, a broken person. Right, right. Who, who, you know, has kids and maybe a wife or, yeah. you know, has, has, has a family that uh, counted on them and, and their lives are, are just upended. And so, you know, frankly, part of my hope with this, these articles I've written and with this video, this documentary we've done, is that predators will watch and yeah. recognize that they have like, oh, man, I have the propensity to do yeah. harm to someone. And I really need to get help. Yes. And that is actually that's one of my big hopes for this, that they're yeah. like, wait a minute, I, I cannot ruin my life. And I cannot ruin the life of a child. I yep. need to go get myself sorted. So no, I hope that too. I really do. You guys are bringing to light a behavior that is so not talked about much. You know, I mean, we'll talk about the boogeyman. But like, you guys really revealing that manipulation and that behavior, I have to think there have been perpetrators who've watched that and had some conviction from that. I I, I hope so. I would be it would it would be worth I mean, I'll, I say this like all of this is worth it. You know, the, the one the one good thing is when someone's arrested, I know that they cannot harm a child anymore. Yeah. But even just, you know, parents being aware Parents realizing that, like, these are the conversations I need to have with my kids. Because one of my biggest fears is that this is happening to kids all over and they're too scared to talk to anyone about it. Yeah. So I, mean, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, oh, my gosh, Kristen, like, especially – and I'm guessing – well, I don't want to speak for you, but – we kind of grew up with a similar background religiously. Mm -hmm. I would never have told anyone. There's, I don't think I would have either. There's there's no way. I would have been afraid of being, you know, been, well, why did you post that photo of yourself, mm -hmm. you know, or uh, why did you even talk to him? And I, I just, I think I would have just felt so much shame that I would have just been embarrassed and maybe deleted my account for a bit. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's, and, the, and you know, him. that's the issue with the level of manipulation that some of these perpetrators are using is, you know, they do get. A reciprocation initially, you know, an innocent reciprocation, because what girl doesn't want to be told you look like a model or right. you're so beautiful. So, you know, they respond and then they feel bad because, well, I responded and he's really yeah. nice. And w one question I get a lot, too, that I you know want to address here is that this is not something that is exclusive to girls. Yes. Um, uh, and, and I keep saying this because 
that's some of the feedback we get in the documentary. Well, why didn't you do this with a boy? Well, mainly because I'm a woman and I cannot pose as a boy. But at Bark, certainly with the, um, you know, the we monitor almost 5 million kids now. And when we see predation, it is regardless of gender. F- absolutely. For sure. And what what we what um, we've also seen that parents that you know a young like I think teenage boys like to think they're pretty savvy, um, but what we've also seen too is, you know, a pretty teenage girl reaches out to a teenage boy. They're talking, they're flirting, they just exchange benign photos, and then they ask to exchange, you know, sexier photos. Mm-hmm. And what that boy doesn't realize is the sexy photo of the fifteen-year-old girl he receives. Um, that's not a 15-year-old girl. That is a man who has yeah. photos of an exploited child. And he's sending photos of an exploited child to receive photos right. of another, in right. turn, essentially another exploited child. Yeah. Um, because there is just such a market for that kind of material. And then, you know, sextortion and, you know, send me more pictures or I'm going to send this to your coach or your principal or your mom. And gosh, I mean, the manipulation is vast for sure. Yeah, it really is. Um, and, it, you know, it's fascinating to me. It really is. And I, you know, I don't, I don't like sounding like a judgy mom, right? Or like, mm. I don't like wagging a finger at the behavior of other parents. But I do feel like this is an area where I am consistently shocked with the ability for parents to turn a blind eye, like not my kid. Yeah. Or I wouldn't need to do that. Or well, we've had a talk about that, so. Or <laughs> I think this is the bigger one. Well, they deserve their privacy. And I truly feel that we do not understand the ramifications of our kids being on social media and on this level of technology because we didn't grow up with it. We don't have the longitudinal studies. And I just am a firm believer that children do not need, deserve privacy online. Like, they're not old enough to handle it. Well, I mean, part of it, too, is like, you know, the risk is just so high at this point. And, you know, there's still that frontal cortex isn't fully formed yet. (laughs) You know, we we make we make rash decisions. And so the one thing that I do like about Bark is that it does offer kids a level of there's like a level of trust building there. Yes. I don't need to see every Bark doesn't deliver every single conversation or meme or silly photo that my kid sends or receives. I just get an alert when there's something potentially concerning. And so, for example, I would be more concerned about my, you know, eight-year-old cursing than I would my Mm 16-year-old cursing. So you can adjust in that way as well. But I think part of it is, look, it's super exciting to be an Instagram influencer or a TikTok influencer and get a lot of followers. and. I understand, certainly, like how exciting that is. But what it comes down to is there is just so much predation and it's on any platform. Some parents, well, well, my kid's not allowed on Snapchat, so it's okay. It's on Instagram, too. Instagram allows disappearing images and and a photo uh, video and you can unsend messages. But essentially, it's any platform with a chat client, whether it's Google Docs or the Fitbit app or, you know, Mm -hmm. any... And I've I've had as a 
as a persona, I've had people say to me, you know, is there another app I can talk to you on? Like, you know, Kick or even like a makeup app. I'll download a girly app. Is there any other app that we can talk on? Mm. I just don't want to talk on XYZ app because I don't want to get in trouble. So, you know, if <laughs> I, I don't know what that might be, but like, hey, can we just chat on Visco? It, that's wild to yeah. me, but they will get around it or, you know, hey, Kristen, you want to open up this Google Doc and you write in red and I write in blue? Yeah. It's yeah, wild. It is wild. I mean, this is why, in addition to using Bark, my kids are not allowed – like, I have the App Store turned off so that they cannot add an app that I don't know about, you know? Like, right. I just feel like it is the Wild West out there, and so I want to know what apps they have and anything with a DM that my kids can can access – I have on my phone too. So I have, I am logged into all of my children on Instagram on my phone. Yeah. You know, and so I get a notification and I don't read everything, but it's like, at least they know that I'm reading it, you know? Right. And I think there's some safety there. Right. And, and then also it's, it's not like, I mean, you, uh, you know, you let your kids try stuff out and do things and like your kids definitely have autonomy, but you're yeah. also a safety net for your kids. Yeah. And, you know, just like, you know, just like if my kid's going to go ride a rollerblades, I'm going to say, hey, wear a helmet. A yep. helmet's not going to stop you from scraping up your knees. But you know what? <laughs> it's a good basic safety measure. And I think, yeah. you know, monitoring and having frequent conversations yes. about online safety. It is not a one and done conversation. It's kind of no. like the sex talk. Totally. You need to talk about it often and openly and for my kids too it's kind of furthered my resolve to just be there and just I want I want to cultivate the kind of relationship where they feel like they can talk to me about anything um so that's it's it's this project has certainly furthered my resolve to do that absolutely well all right talk to us about your self-care how are you doing ha oh my gosh um well, uh, so admittedly, it's it's not been great. And that's probably one of the reasons why I was excited about joining you on this show is because it felt like this would be a great, a great way to document um, what I need to be doing for myself and what mm. I'm what I'm trying. And so because this I mean, in a perfect world, I'd be exercising regularly because it makes me feel great. Uh, I'd be eating more vegetables because it makes me feel good. Um, I currently, lately, have not been doing much of anything that's uh, anything self-care related. And a lot of it has to do with travel and press and, you know, case updates and mm-hmm. <laughs> sp- spending my evenings talking to perpetrators. And it's been um, – it's just been kind of – I've been certainly full tilt. I know we had that uh, episode on um, emergency self-care. So I haven't really been – at the point where I feel like I'm doing great. Um, I've got yeah. some I've got some ideas in the works that I, I definitely want to talk about in future episodes. Um, something that's maybe some some extreme some extreme self-care to kind of go along with the extreme lifestyle I've been living. Yeah. 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 Because it's a lot. It's you know, it's a whole lot. I mean, I know when I was working as the therapist, um, and I often worked with kids who'd been sexually abused, like it is mm. nearly impossible as an empathetic person to go home and not have that still on your heart, you know? Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I, I, you know, and whether it's, you know, not sleeping well or, you know, frankly, nightmares. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been really challenging. And I think that, uh, thankfully I've got, um, you know, 
I, I think that I'm self-aware enough to at least know that I'm not in a great place with my self-care. I just need to do something about it, really. And so, uh, again, these past few, or actually since the beginning of the year has been pretty bananas. But um, I am I am making moves, for sure. And I will be updating you all on them. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm sure we will talk more in detail about this in our selfie podcast group. And I have a feeling we'll also be answering questions about child safety, because I know this raises a lot of them. Um, So if you guys want to chat more about how you are keeping your kids safe online, um, you can join us in the Selfie Podcast community on Facebook. Yes, please join us there. Does that feel good? Do you feel like we covered everything? Yeah, I think we covered the the big hits. And if people have more questions, I think it'll... It'll be an ongoing conversation. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us over at Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. And make sure to join our uber supportive community that we love on Facebook by searching for Selfie Podcast Community. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at SelfiePodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so that you can catch up with us next week. Special thanks to Shepherd Audio for providing our music. Take care.